new resort check-in processes, a simulated Disney park opening, and what exactly is Universal Orlando cooking up? That and more, all on today's Park Hop. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Great Park Hop. My name is Julian James, and continuing to join us live from the Hall Cave, where time has officially stopped, and the only thing that matters anymore is how many pairs of Mickey ears he can fit on his head all at once, the man, the myth, the legend, Henry Hall. hey Each week we get together to discuss the latest and greatest theme park news, happenings, and burning topics in the lands of Disney, Universal, and beyond. Before launching into things, we always like to note that Henry works at the Walt Disney Company. As always, though, his opinions are fully his own. What is that? <laughs> have you not heard this? I have not. <laughs> oh, Henry. Yeah, I've never heard this one. Dude, oh my god, Henry, you uh you've really gotta check this out. This is um this is the Splash Mountain kind of promo. They call it a rap, I guess, I guess for 1989. I guess that maybe uh maybe falls a little bit more in line with a rap, but uh yeah, man, it is pretty much everything you would expect and hope never to see from a uh uh, a late eighties, early nineties hip hop kind of promo video. It, um, the best thing, the best way that I could describe it is it looks like if the people that are responsible for like all of those double mint ads, you remember seeing where it's just like the most white bread people in the universe being like, Oh, double mint gum, ha super cheese ball. If those people got together and made a, song advertising splash mountain when it opened at disneyland and was just like the most non-offensive kind of rap you could ever imagine well it, it sounds like it it falls in line with all those uh rap promos or whatever that uh sports teams would do oh yeah the bears it is it, definitely it yeah bears raiders everybody did one i think that that uh, didn't the oakland a's do one too I'm pretty sure they did. Did the Oakland days? That's a really good. You know, I don't. I should know the answer to that, but I don't. It's 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 about that time. I don't think I ever heard like a maybe an NBA team, but I'm pretty sure almost every football team had a had a a rap that they did with their players to talk about how good they are on the field. And I believe I saw like a definitely a couple of baseball teams doing them too for sure. Well, it definitely like it's been it's been making the rounds all over the uh, all over the various parts of Disney fan Internet uh, this last week. And the video is truly something if you can't if you, if you haven't seen it, definitely look it up on YouTube because it is like not only does it just sound ridiculous, it looks ridiculous, too. There are like miners in multicolor. It looks like part village people, part, you know, cheeseball Disney late eighties, early nineties, uh, promo video. It is classic in all of the best and worst ways. So definitely uh, you got to look it up, Henry. I'll definitely look it up. I mean, we, uh, just a couple of days ago, I watched the, uh, happily ever after fireworks show from, uh, for Disney world, which was epic. Yeah. Oh, that show's so awesome. Uh, the videos that they play on the uh, on Cinderella's castle are so well done. All of those. I mean, it, you know, when you're talking about differences between Disneyland and Disney World, uh, more often than not, you know, the size of the individual parks and you know, uh, ride to ride. Those are usually those are usually the comparisons that are, that uh, that happen. But really, the the fireworks show is something that isn't discussed too much and there's probably good reason for it because Disney World's fireworks at least the Magic Kingdom's fireworks 
are far and away, you know, just 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 generally blow Disneyland's out of the water. It's it's a much bigger castle, so there's a bit more spectacle there, but because, you know, they're in the middle of the Orlando swamps, basically, uh, surrounded by all of their own property. They don't have to worry about like noise ordinances in the way that Disneyland with the uh, surrounding community of Anaheim has to worry about. So, I mean, they're just, they're just lighting off fireworks. Like they're not worried about anything. I wonder if they have the same, like if, if they will cancel shows, if it's, they've got like wind warnings or whatnot, because I was at uh, Disneyland more than once that saw the fireworks canceled because of high winds yeah. and whatnot. So I wonder if they don't have that issue at uh, Disney World. I mean, the, I mean, I'm sure that they definitely cancel stuff for rain. I mean, it is yeah. Central Florida, but uh, I'm not sure about wind. That's a that's a good question. It is. I mean, it being a bit more flat, maybe it's not quite as bad, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that is uh that is a question to put out there for sure. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I agree. I mean, it's anytime that, uh, you know, I'm with people at Disneyland that are used to Disney world's fireworks spectacular, or there've just been times where I'm just, you know, I, I hear people around me say at the end of Disneyland's like, oh, that's nothing compared to compared to florida and it's like well yeah you're you're in the you're basically you're in a theme park that's in the middle of a a a big neighborhood right yeah i think for me uh my favorite like fireworks show at least at the uh disneyland is the uh the halloween uh fireworks show i i wonder how it compares to uh, I can I'll probably look that up and see how the the Disney World uh, Halloween fireworks show goes. Um, yeah, I've I saw last year's. I want to say I don't know if it was new last year. There there definitely were some updates, but they had that. They definitely have like a full Jack Skellington kind of at the entrance that uh, that kind of narrates the whole experience, which at least on video is pretty awesome. I'm right now. I'm still trying to kind of zero in on when my rescheduled, uh, Disney world trip is. And of course <laughs> this is all dependent on if the parks are actually going to be open, uh, later in the year. But right now it, uh, it's probably going to be in that early kind of September, maybe late August timeframe where, you know, ha- Halloween will be a thing. So I hopefully will be able to check that out in person, but we'll see. I like how you said zero with, you know, Jack Skellington. But, <laughs> you know, there's been, of course, just, my, my wife, Lori, keeps pointing out, I guess there's rumor going out or at least hearsay that she keeps reading that she likes to point out to me saying that the parks aren't going to open until 2021. And that would be really, really, really sad thing if that comes to pass but uh yeah i've i've uh i've read the same thing um and i believe at least from everything i can tell it's based off of a single analyst who uh has kind of speculated that this is that this could be the case given um given the way that things are moving and it seems like it's a worst case uh worst case prediction and sure i mean it's definitely possible i think the one caveat and uh that you know, I would apply to that speculation. And and really the one reason I didn't include it is because um, from everything I could tell and all of the information that he provided in his report, there there wasn't a lot of, of solid concrete, um, you know, facts to, to really base that off of other than there's this potential. And also with, with analysts, it can be, it can be a little rocky in terms of just both track record, but also kind of what the, any maybe ulterior motivations could be because oftentimes they represent people that are buying and selling. And so because of that, it, it's less about the getting the specifics right as opposed to making money for the clients or the company that you represent. So, 
you know, it's like I said, it, of course, like in this day and age with, uh, with everybody kind of being on edge about when the parks are going to reopen, uh, I'm sure Disney as a company included first and foremost as, uh, as being the most worried about that. Um, I think there's a lot of different, it would seem like there's a lot of different thoughts and ideas on when the parks may or may not open and if that's going to be this year or next year or, or whatever. And, uh, and until, until they come forward and actually have some really, you know, uh, definitive proof or details, it's, it's hard to take anybody really seriously that isn't a spokesperson for the Walt Disney company. Yeah, I mean it's it's something that I you know I take with a grain of salt, but you know it, how things are going, it really depends on like how everybody makes sure that they're following like the rules and uh, everybody like stays safe. You know the we need to get on top of this, but with everybody, uh, I hate to say it, you know when these protests happen, people are being. Uh, you know, irresponsible with how they uh, are interacting with other people, you know, it winds up, you know, we could see this flare up even worse later. Um, I think we're all kind of getting antsy because we're all kind of tired of waiting to see how things, you know, turn out. But it's the best thing we can do to get this thing over with and so we can get on with our lives. Yeah, I mean, and and really with that, you know, it's as hard as it is to do, um, you know, and looking at just kind of what's been going on, the direction that things are moving, we, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this. And, you know, I've got, of course, this being a show where we talk about and react to the Disney and Universal news of the day. We've got plenty of Disney and Universal news kind of uh, both – uh, shedding light on where things are moving and and a, a few potential kernels of hope as well. But, you know, of course, it's like the the thing to keep in mind for sure is that they the parks will be open at some point. It's not like they're never going to reopen. Um, and of course, they're going to reopen when it makes sense for them to reopen. And what that sense is may be different from person to person and kind of, uh, you know, with politics involved, it gets a little dicey as well. But, um, you know, from everything that we've seen so far, uh, and I, I think you would agree as well, but it's like everything we've seen so far has shown that Disney Universal, uh, SeaWorld, uh, Legoland, all, uh, you know, Knott's Berry Farm, all of these companies are being generally very responsible in terms of how they've been approaching these park closures and um, kind of approaching uh, proactively in some cases kind of what what that reopening plan and what that reopening vision looks like in terms of ensuring that people that are there in the parks are as safe as possible. So, uh, you know, it's not like, again, it's not like we're in a situation where either A, the parks are not going to reopen ever, or B, they're going to reopen and everything's going to be business as usual. It's it's going to be neither of those, and that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, they're being responsible and, and in some cases more responsible than uh, our, <laughs> our uh, leadership is. But uh, the thing they definitely want to do is make sure that from what we've seen is they don't only just want to like make sure that they're not just opening too soon, but they're opening and making sure there's things in place that people feel comfortable coming back and feel comfortable. So they're able to have a good time and be safe while they're in the park, which is, which is the right thing. For sure. Yep. Well, we start off today's news with a few kernels of hope because it's looking like Shanghai Disneyland is getting closer to reopening. This is exactly what we've been talking about just now. So this past week, Twitter user Gourmet DYY posted a handful of updates and images showing numerous simulations that are being conducted around the park. These tests include not only parade and castle light show rehearsals, but also various different social distancing strategy. 
The two examples that the Twitter user highlighted were extra spacing for indoor theater shows, where only every other row was filled with multiple seats separating each person, and social distancing cues, which included indicators on the ground to show where you can and can't stand. And just in case you were wondering why this matters so much at Shanghai Disneyland, this was the first resort to close in late January, and it's also been the first to begin a staggered reopening with limited shopping and dining having already rolled out. So does any of that surprise you? I mean, it seems like this is everything that we've we've been talking about, but I mean, it really does seem like, I think I was reading that... Um, I think I was reading that in Shanghai, schools are actually going to start resuming in the end of April through early May. So perhaps this is this is all leading up to that. But I mean, if they're if they're going through rehearsals and they're going through these drills, if you will, in terms of of creating social distancing, certainly seems like they're gearing up to reopen this park pretty soon. Yeah, that's definitely that sounds right. And uh, and the world's eyes are going to be on Shanghai Disney. I mean, all these things, these places that are attempting to reopen, if, if this turns out to be good, they can open up sooner, get people to work and have people get to have some fun again. For sure. Shanghai has consistently been the, uh, the test bed, if you will. I mean, it's exactly like what you're saying. And so because of that, a lot of these uh, methods that have been put in place, they were they were even you know even before we started hearing from Bob Iger about some of the methods they were researching for you know U.S. park reopenings. We were seeing that in Shanghai. So I mean, you are completely right in saying like the world will be certainly the the theme park world will be looking at uh, and just in general I mean public attractions uh, any kind of any kind of uh, events like th- this is a pretty good indication of of some of the methods that we might see but also we're gonna get that indication of how they're gonna work so yeah I mean totally what was your what was what's your kind of thought on um, this idea for indoor, uh, shows where it's every other row and then, you know, in between each person in a row where there are people, um, there's maybe like two or three empty seats. It seems like that's, that's a pretty heavy reduction in terms of just capacity for each show. Does that seem overkill or does that seem, you know, like that, that is really what it's going to take in order to make people feel safe? I think it's, I think at this point, I think it's good. I think uh, once we get further in and things, you know, we we finally get better at detecting this thing and we have even, uh, uh, you know, a way to combat it, uh, I think we can, you know, loosen that. But at this stage, I think it's best that we take those extra precautions to keep people distanced. It feels weird, man. Like the idea of, I don't know what that is. I mean, that's probably more in line with what we were talking about last week with, um, you know, universal questioning, how, how you would feel about a 25% park capacity, you know, crowd um, being allowed in where, you know, it feels like certainly if you're if you're in, if you're one of those twenty five percent, then it's all great. But um, but you know, for any of these shows that are in that that are enhanced with you know a good crowd, um, it just would feel really strange. But yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's it certainly gets me closer to feeling safer than it does less safe. Uh, I th- I think also something to take into consideration for uh, at least for the Shanghai Disney crowd is that it's here in the U.S. I think we're more want our space where they're more on feel comfortable being on top of each other, so they have to put at least more precautions in anyways because you know one of those things is that they don't like, I think. If I'm even in a, a movie theater, I would probably try and even 
pre-corona, I would try and sit away from somebody else. So I have enough space for myself, but I'm sure in Shanghai and, and, de- and definitely in uh, Japan and in Tokyo, Disney, you're going to have people who don't mind being like right on top of another person. So putting in that extra distance is, is for the best over there. Yeah. And I mean, you know, um, it wasn't an issue for me when I was visiting Shanghai, but many of the reports coming out of Shanghai Disneyland when it first opened was that it really was uh, uncomfortably crowded at certain points um, and just a total, a total cluster, especially, you know, talking about queues where people are, are line jumping and, Um, just kind of all smashed in and just, and just being kind of, um, you know, not, not respectful of personal space. And certainly a big part of that is cultural, but, um, but it seems like even just these, these kinds of steps, um, would go to just help that from a, a guest experience perspective. And, you know, I mean, we, we, Iger mentioned in his interview and we've talked about as well, where, a lot of the safety implementations that they made post 9-11 have carried over um, and are still being used in, in in at least the U.S. parks in terms of security measures. So certainly possible to um, to, you know, imagine and 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 expect that some of these implementations are going to be with us for um, for a while, even even when. You know, we're even when we hit that point where you know coronavirus isn't isn't as much of a concern anymore. Yeah, assuming that all of this goes well and we don't see any more kind of spikes of of sickness in uh, in and around Shanghai, that we're going to get an announcement pretty soon um, about this park opening, and I think that will you know, to what we were talking about a little bit earlier in terms of speculation on when the U.S. parks are going to be open it does start to paint a clearer picture in terms of what that pathway is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> so with uh, so much of Florida's tourism coming from theme parks, it should be pretty obvious that they're playing a big part in the governor's reopened task force. A recent report from Spectrum News 13 outlined some of the conversations that have been ongoing. The most interesting nugget, though, doesn't have to do with when the parks are going to be open, but who the parks will be open to. That's because one of the plans being discussed is to first reopen attractions to Florida residents, then national visitors, then international guests. The idea being that it would limit park capacity while also giving the parks an opportunity to test any newly implemented health and safety systems. This, of course would be in addition to any park-specific policies that end up being implemented. Um, so that's an interesting thought. Again, goes with this idea of of kind of uh, smaller reopenings, testing out some of these systems that uh, they're implementing. Again, like this, this is in line with kind of what was in that survey to annual pass holders from Universal that we talked about last week. But um, but really, kind of having that small sample size to to test everything out with before starting to go larger. Um, a thought that I did have, though, I'm curious on, on your thought on this as well, is like how would something like this even work for Disneyland? Could it work for Disneyland, or would there need to be some other kind of you know restriction? Because you know, as we've talked about ad nauseum, locals play such a big part in terms of the um, the guest population at Disneyland? Uh, I mean, it It makes sense. I mean, I think this is something I was saying before, is like, at least, uh, I think in, I, I don't know if they necessarily do, they would do probably something similar to this, but I would think it would be like, instead of saying locals only, they might do something like pass holders only. So you get annual pass holders can go, uh, to the parks, you know, they yeah. open up to just annual pass holders first and then so they can get that, uh, info on how like get stuff in place and, and 
I guess I guess basically are using them as lab rats to see how everything goes. But at least they get in. Uh, it's a number that they can probably at least predict how many people are going to be there, and they can be more mindful of like how to get everything and how much they can expect as far as a crowd goes. Yeah. Um, how much they need to have in place, but uh, well, it's like they could totally they have they could fully control something like that if they use the system that they already have in place for the flex pass uh, level of annual passport. So um, I'm a flex pass holder. It is it is the in terms of at least the non-resident passes. It's it's the cheapest that you can get, and it doesn't have blackout dates, but you do have you, you basically have to um, on on any of the days where it's more crowded, you would have to go online and essentially make a reservation and you can do so up to 30 days in advance. And once, you know, uh, the however many reservations are available in a given day are out then it, they just block the day off and say no more reservations are available. So I'm wondering if they could use a system even more similar to that rather than just general annual passports, because I think even if you're just looking at general annual passport holders, it is still a pretty high percentage of park goers that, that have annual passes. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree that it's something I, I could see them rolling out to a larger scale to just like pretty much include everybody. Um, at least they could do it first, uh, you know, maybe local or I guess statewide and national and then international. I imagine international would, would take a while longer anyways, just because uh, since they're limiting uh, people traveling internationally to the U S. So I think right. that's something that just, is going to happen naturally anyways, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, at least if you have a reservation, you, you know, you know, you can at least guarantee that you're in, they can guarantee the size isn't going to be more than this. Uh, and you can control the crowds better. They can, they can rotate people as well. Right. Uh, yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's, it'll be interesting of how that system works if they roll it out. But I mean, I think that it's, uh, it makes sense to have some kind of reservation system. This would just make sure that people are planning their visits. They don't just show up and have no idea whether they're going to get in or not. Right. One of the aspects about reopening I've been most curious about is what that appetite's going to be and and just what the what the crowd situation's going to be like because you know of course everybody wants to be back um I don't think that's that's in question but there obviously is concern especially if you're traveling on an airplane um of kind of what your general safety is going to be this is I mean again this echoes everything that all of these park CEOs um, have been talking about, but you know, it's, it, it is a, it, it is a question I keep asking myself because, you know, it, 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 and it's a question that I keep seeing on, um, you know, the few annual pass holder groups that I'm involved in on social media and then on Reddit as well in the Disneyland and Disney world group there, it seems like every few days there's that question keeps on coming up of just like, how excited are people going to be when the parks open or even just like when the parks do reopen, are you going to be there immediately? And, you know, you definitely have a lot of people that say, no, I'm not, I'm going to wait it out. But you have tons, if not even more people saying I'm there day one. I just wonder if that's really going to be the case. Like, will that appetite be there for, you know, a capacity crowd on opening day? I honestly think it, it is there. I think people are getting pretty antsy at this point, but then I think there's going to be that, there's always going to be that, uh, that crowd who maybe aren't as they, they enjoy Disney, but they're not dying for Disney stuff that will kind of be like, I can wait, you know, but 
I mean, I think for me, like you kind of have to know yourself and what you, I think I would be interested to go definitely sooner than later, but, uh, I give it a little bit, but I don't know, you know, let's see how things are working out give them a little time to, to work through the system and make sure that everything is going. But, uh, I don't know. It's pretty tough, especially when you consider like, I definitely want to go during Halloween. I think I've always been pretty good at avoiding others and, in touchy situations. So I think I'm not worried so much about myself, but I want the system to be in place and working smoothly by the time I get there and whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like what you're saying then is that, you know, if, if let's say early August is when the parks all say that they've gotten everything in place and are, and are targeting that time frame. They say, you know, uh, they're going with this system that we've been talking about where it's all reservation only. You have an opportunity to snag a reservation for opening week. Are you going to snag a reservation? It sounds like you're not. Is that right? Yeah, probably wouldn't. One, it's just uh, the August time frame is a little bit rough just because it's also one of the hotter times of the year. Um, <laughs> That's I, uh, true. Your, your comfort is important. That's uh, never, never uh, say that that is not uh, a priority for Henry all. Yeah. But then also I want to see how, how big the crowd is. Like I would probably like if, if I knew they were opening in, in August, I would probably start planning to do something maybe late September, early October. You know, I that would that would be my normal time frame, anyways. So, right. I mean, that would work perfectly for me because any kind of stuff that they need to work out will be worked out by that time. And hopefully, like I understand they need that information, but I don't care for being the lab rat <laughs> in sure. situation. The first one that has to deal with it, it can sometimes be good because there's maybe less. Uh, stuff you have to deal with, but then, you know, usually the system's not quite perfected yet. So I want to wait till it's get, it's running smoothly and they're, they really know what they're doing. So then uh, with that, let's say they go, well, we're opening in um, mid-October. You'll have two weeks to enjoy Halloween festivities and spicy and dilled pickles are fully stocked. Oh, well, the pickle situation was the most important part. I wanted to make sure that they got those. And uh, yeah, that's a tough call there. I might have to consider that. I mean, the, the given, I mean, I do appreciate the, uh, I mean, the, the Christmas, the holiday season is also, uh, a great time to be there too, but uh, Halloween is usually one of our favorite times. But then, so I I don't know. I definitely would be considering it if if it's pushed into October. So if if the parks are if the parks are open in October, you're going to be there if I can. I mean, well, fair enough. Okay, schedule permitting. <laughs> yeah. I would have to, it would definitely be an internal struggle for me to decide whether or not to actually go to the parks when it first opened. I, part of me is, is like you and thinking, oh, well, maybe let's give, let's give them a few weeks to kind of shake the kinks out. The other part of me is like, listen, man, uh, this is like historical that these parks have been closed for as long as they have been. And part of me just wants to be there on opening day to just take in that atmosphere. Like I wouldn't even be mad if I don't ride any of the rides or if it's just, you know, uh, if it's a low capacity day and the park is like half empty. Uh, I just feel like, man, what a special atmosphere that is going to be to just kind of soak it all in when everything's open. You're going to have just so many happy people all around. Yeah, I think you're, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, it's, it's kind of an atmosphere that, you know, I definitely want to be a part of. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed. I mean, 
looking into like when we make our trips, you know, big part of our trips isn't necessarily like riding the rides. I mean, it's something we definitely ride rides, but, you know, just walking around, soaking in the atmosphere, the, you know, actually seeing, you know, people happy and actually being nice to each other is such a, a, a great thing of a part of being at Disneyland. So it's, you know, that's, that's a big part of it for sure. And I'm sure it is going to be an amazing time to be there, but it's also, I want to make sure that, you know, everything is safe and, you know, they're getting, you know, everything is working in, in place and particularly they got enough uh, pickles in stock. <laughs> I mean, you would have to imagine that they're going to have pickles in stock when the park reopens. Wouldn't that be something? Hey man, I take nothing for granted now. As it is, every now and then I'm going to the grocery store and they're they're out of my pickles. Hey man, you know, am I going to have to start fighting people for for pickles? Becomes a serious uh, question to me. So, <laughs> well, if uh, if I end up at Disneyland that opening week, I'll grab a pickle for you. Uh, man, that would just be. I mean, I appreciate it, but I don't know, man. It's it'd be a hard thing to not have just the one pickle. I'll FaceTime you while I'm down there, and I'll update you on the pickle situation. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. <laughs> well, looking ahead at when the parks actually do reopen, Disney World has given us our first real bit of information on what we can expect from the resort experience. Numerous guests with active Disney hotel reservations are reporting that online check-in is being listed as mandatory. This would mean that when they arrived at the hotel, they would have to go directly to their room and skip the front desk, getting into their hotel room with their phone. No official word from Disney yet, so it's quite possible that this is only being tested for now and will never fully be rolled out. Also, another little interesting tidbit with that is that it, it, it sounds like it's pretty inconsistent in terms of where that messaging, or I should say who that messaging is showing up for. There are plenty of people that had reservations around similar timeframes of the people that were showing these screenshots of the mandatory notice. And these other people were saying, we're not seeing this as well. So, um, you know, like we said, like I was saying, it could be that this is only kind of a temporary thing. It could be that maybe they're um, only rolling this out to, you know, 50% of guests to just reduce the uh, amount of crowd that always seems to to be in that, uh, that check-in desk uh, whenever you arrive. So, um, but it does seem like, you know, this is, this is like one of the first real um, updates that for sure is happening uh, around the park. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's there crazy that, um, crazy that, uh, I don't know. It's eh, that you would even think that, I don't know. I, I am highly suspect that these, I, I think, so the people that the people that had these reservations that included these screenshots of the mandatory messaging, uh, I think had June, um, they had June reservations, and so I'd be surprised if those actually happened. So it it may not ever, ever really come to pass. But, uh, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, I don't know, though. That's expecting that people, all these people have smartphones. And while I know it's something that, you know, we take for granted, but I know for a fact that, my father-in-law, he doesn't have a smartphone, and uh, he still has a flip phone. And my my father finally just got a smartphone, and he barely knows how to use it. So I think taking there has to be something more than just relying on people checking into their own rooms with a smartphone. There's got to be something else. So I, I highly suspect that that would be the only thing and that would come to pass. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, assuming that this does get rolled out fully. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it, it won't be the only thing I do wonder though, because 
I saw this mentioned as well of just like, what about the guests that, that don't have smartphones? This is one of these comments that gets brought up whenever there is a smartphone specific process that's rolled out. Uh, you know, it was something that came about when boarding passes for rise of the resistance was a thing too. And technically they did have physical boarding passes you could get at some of the fast path, uh, fast pass booths. But, um, I always do wonder, and this is, we would never ever be able to get this data from Disney. I'm, I'm sure they're not publishing this, but like what percentage of their guests doesn't, you know, interact with the park in some capacity via a smartphone because, you know, uh, going to the park isn't cheap. And I, I'm just out of curiosity, like with with your parents and in-laws, were they going with you or would, would they go independently hmm. so that they would be at the parks without you guys and without access to a smartphone? Well, I mean, that's, that's interesting now. Um, at least they've always gone with us. But, I mean, we don't stay in the same room. So, sure. you know... It would be, I think, while in the park, they would be fine. But if they need a smartphone to get into their their room, uh, their hotel room or something, then we would run into issues. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair but, enough. But, uh, yeah. No, they're usually with somebody who has a smartphone. And, and my while my father-in-law doesn't have a smartphone, uh, he... Uh, my mother-in-law has a smartphone, the same as my my stepmother. She has a, a smartphone. Uh, the funny thing is, is that both my father-in-law and my father both had the same uh, point of view why they kept with a flip phone. Is like, if I need a smartphone, I have somebody around me who has a smartphone, so I don't need right. one. <laughs> so it's, they use the same right. argument, but uh, my father finally had to break down and get a, a smartphone because um, he lost his flip phone and the other flip phone that they had, he didn't really care for. I basically kind of laid down the law that like... He, he always needed me to come help him with his phone. And I got tired of entering in, entering in his contacts on a flip phone, which is a pain in the neck to do. And it, so that, uh, now he actually had to upgrade to the basic, uh, smartphone. So, um, he's, He's actually, I think, liking it better, but uh, he fought it for a long, long time. Fair enough. It, well, I just feel like so much of the in-park experience at Disney right now is is not necessarily dependent, but enhanced when you know you're you're utilizing features that are built into their park apps so whether that's you know the availability to have max pass at disneyland whether that's the availability to book additional fast passes without having to go to a physical machine at disney world whether that's the ability to make kind of reservations on the fly um you know boarding passes uh photo passes just there's just so much so many features that are built into those park experience apps that you know you generally don't like to think that you would be missing out without them but i feel like you definitely would be if you're not utilizing the smartphone uh with your experience in in each park oh yeah i mean i think you know, the, I think the, the, the argument there would be is that, yeah, they they understand that they're missing out, but it's still not enough for them to, like, commit to getting a smartphone. I mean, to be honest, my father's super cheap, and that's why he's not, he doesn't want to go with a, a smartphone uh, sure. for all these years. Uh, he figures it's, it's not worth it you know, that expense right. for just that one time. But, you know, I think they recognize that, that it, there is a benefit to having uh, a smartphone at that time, but. Eh. Well, and certainly people that are in that boat, 
I have to imagine that you would still be able to go to the front desk, even if they're saying it's mandatory. Uh, you know, the, you're going to get something. I mean, even if it's, I mean, if it's so specifically, this is Disney world we're talking about right now. Uh, you know, assuming that you've booked, you're still getting a magic band. And in general, your magic, if you're filling everything out in advance and going through that, that full process, you're going to, um, you're going to get your magic band sent to you at home so that you basically just show up in front of your hotel room anyway and your magic band would be used to open up your door and it would already be activated. Everything would be ready to roll. So theoretically, you still could go through this process of checking in online beforehand without ever using a a phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then again, at that point, my one point is you're then assuming that they have a computer. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yep. I, yeah, that's, I mean, I forget about the magic band since uh, they don't have those in, uh, in Disneyland. We got to get you out to Florida wrestling alligators or something like that. <laughs> um, well, let's stay in Florida for this next one. Uh, Inside the magic.net had an interesting piece up contrasting Disney World's and Universal Orlando's stance on construction during this closure. As we've discussed on previous episodes, Disney has stopped construction across the board, while Universal has pushed forward on all active projects, which includes new parks in both Orlando and Shanghai. While there isn't much information as to what exactly is motivating each park's stance, it does seem like different guidelines are being followed. When Disney initially closed the parks, they cited the current CDC guidelines, which recommended that all gatherings greater than 10 people uh, will be canceled or should be canceled. Universal, on the other hand, has committed to, quote, remain active and on track under protocols established by government officials and with their support, end quote. Both parks have been closed since mid-March and are scheduled to remain that way until the foreseeable future. So it seems like... Uh, weird kind of different take that each park is going by. I, I do wonder, I mean, it does seem like with universal and they have, I mean, both parks have tons of construction going on regardless. Um, it seems almost like, I don't know if it's a competitive advantage or something like that, that they're still churning it out and working, uh, towards completing, especially that new park in Florida, uh, Epic universe. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, my wife Lori and I were talking about this uh, a little bit yesterday, and when we were discussing how uh, I don't know if you heard, but uh, I guess Georgia is talking. I guess some of their businesses are opening, and we were talking about the like one of the businesses that they were talking about opening was like tattoo parlors, and then they were also saying that uh, I guess following that would be like allowing like uh, construction to to start working and in uh both of those situations uh, at least definitely in tattoo parlors a lot of times if it's a really good establishment they're already putting in a lot of like type of uh no contact type uh prevention guidelines anyways where they're already wearing gloves and generally they wear masks too uh the same being said for construction and that a lot of times you're cutting using saws or painting and stuff you're using your have like masks on your you've got gloves on and stuff like that so some of these guidelines they're generally already being kind of used in some in some way in these situations so i kind of could see why uh how like construction could still go on uh also like you're not always super close to the other guy you're working on when you're doing construction you may be working but i mean i think i've seen even today they like uh well late at night you see like road work happening so like construction type jobs i think are still kind of viable as long as people are using masks and stuff and are being safe so um i think disney may have been just being more cautious but uh you know i can see it happening you know, it hasn't been as much of a big story. I do think it, uh, you know, one of those questions that initially came up when came up when these park closures were announced was, uh, 
if Disney was going to keep working on a lot of these refurbishments that are ongoing. And so it'll be interesting to see if, um, I don't know if there's any kind of backlash once, once word starts getting out more that Universal is still rocking and rolling with all their construction and refurbishments and Disney is kind of waiting, waiting it out. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. I could see, I'd see more, honestly, I could see more backlash that Disney's holding out than Universal's. Because as long as Universal is being safe, usually it's been my experience that at least with construction is that safety is something that is usually like higher up. So using these uh, safety protocols, additional protocols should be easy to implement, easier to implement with a construction environment. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it would be anything huge though, as far as backlash, if any. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll just, it's a wait and see for everything. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it, it seems like it's been, hasn't been as much of an issue right now. And to your point, it's like they're doing it for safety reasons. So it's, it's a hard thing to fault, I think, either side. And finally, while things have generally been slow going at the parks lately, the same cannot be said for permits being filed. So uh, we've definitely talked a little bit about how this is being done at Disneyland a few weeks back, but it seems like a few of the other parks are getting in on the action. This is also coming from InsideTheMagic.net, who's rounded up most of these uh, permits, Um which will all start at Disneyland with that frontier gate renovation, which is back on the books with the goal of improving pedestrian flow through the area. Um, this is similar to that Adventureland uh, revamp that they did for the um, the sign there. Is, I think it's called Project Stardust, which, um, which they were doing a lot of that kind of pedestrian flow improvements to uh, to kind of aid the flow of people out to Galaxy's Edge. So it seems like this is still an ongoing uh, process that's being done. Um, Epcot's upcoming Play Pavilion has one as well, but it's for their themed interior sets, which should set the stage for many planned IP-themed activities, like uh, participating in an epic water balloon fight with Huey, Dewey, Louie, and Webby. Sounds like that's right up, uh, right up your alley, Henry. Oh yeah, I want to do more with Huey, Dewey, and Louie, the the triplets, and uh, Webby. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where things really start to get interesting, though, is when we take a look at what Universal's been up to. Now, Henry, how would you feel if these theme parks started to build on-ride sanitation methods into the rides themselves? I think I'd be happy about that. Sounds pretty good, right? Oh, yeah. Well, this is exactly what Universal has filed with the patent suggesting a design that would use newly installed panels to sanitize frequently touched surfaces on ride vehicles. So uh, I think, so they had uh, an image of a couple of these um, and there was like a little compartment that, you know, for any kind of like um, 3D glasses or, or like, you know, a, a, any kind of like um, peripheral that you would use on the ride, you could kind of store in a box. And in the patent, it suggested that UV light or some kind of sanitizing spray would then um, clean it in between each ride. Um, and then there was another thing that was like, yeah, it was like a little, it looked like exactly as it was described, a little box that kind of sprayed um, kind of like handles or, you know, seats or anything like that. Um, so that would be pretty wild, man. I, I think in general, that sounds great. Like I'd much rather have that, I think, than a, uh, an individual coming by and, and, and specifically wiping down each ride vehicle between each car. True. Uh, although I think I imagine it would be probably smarter to have like a, a, uh, a UV light just just shine on whatever those uh, surfaces are. Because one thing I have noticed lately is like, even when people like spray stuff down, it's like grabbing something that's been wetted from disinfectant spray 
half the time I'm like, I hope that was disinfectant spray and not somebody just sneezing right on the whatever it was or somebody's sweaty hands on this uh, surface. Yeah, they could do, I mean, I don't know. I, I like the idea, of course. Uh, if if you had unlimited space and, and ideas and and money, would be super, you'd want like the ride vehicle to go through like a cleaning room where they just like, you know, completely spray it down from above uh, like a little <laughs> car wash station and then it comes through and is like completely clean and dry but yeah i think uh i think uh regardless this is a step in the right direction i mean i'm i'm thrilled that uh with uh staff members and cast members cleaning out uh each ride vehicle between rides and wiping it down with like clorox wipes or something like that but i'm even more thrilled if they have this as an automated process so Thumbs up for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least automated, you know, it's going to be evenly done all each time. And even with uh, if you have like cast members doing stuff, there's always that that margin of error where somebody's not as good as others or whatever. Yeah, for sure, man. So we also have plans for what's rumored to be a new Harry Potter attraction for Universal's new park. Epic Universe. Orlando Park Stop shares this info on this possible ride, which would have guests traveling through the streets of Paris attempting to help round up all of Newt Scamander's escaped creatures and possibly employing techniques developed for a never-built Ministry of Magic attraction. This would be in line with other rumors that have suggested that one of the lands opening with Epic Universe will be based around the Fantastic Beasts franchise. Uh, are you into more Harry Potter lands at uh, at a third theme park, Harry? Uh, Harry, Henry, Harry, Henry. <laughs> I uh, actually, I am interested. I actually, I think, uh, really appreciate the uh, uh, Fantastic Beasts and where to find them uh, movies a little bit more than the the Harry Potter movies. Is really. Well, it opened up the world a lot more. I think uh, it, the, um, the Harry Potter movies always feel kind of confined to just that, uh, you know, the uh, the small area or at least around the uh, around the school. It seems like that's the only area there is. But when uh, Fantastic Beasts, you see like this is a world that's like this is happening in America, not just the UK and whatnot. And you're right. in, uh, introduced to like a lot of more other creatures and how is uh, magic perceived in not just in this small centralized area, but it's how it's perceived in another country. So it's, you know, I actually got maybe more into it, I guess, with uh, the Fantastic Beast. So this is definitely, and of course, it doesn't hurt that like some of these like little these creatures are awfully cute and uh, <laughs> have a lot of character in themselves. So it's it's I think it's definitely a win win. See that uh, creature shop similar to uh, to what's in uh, Galaxy's Edge over there, right? Where you could purchase your your favorite cute creature. Yeah, except for they don't have the the child yet really appearing in uh, Galaxy's Edge, which I think is a a not a wise decision. I mean, you gotta you can buy some merch when you're coming in or leaving the land, but. You know, there should be a, a child dedicated uh, shop in actual Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> well, maybe it'll be there when the when when everything reopens. Uh, hopefully, we'll see. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it a uh, a Fantastic Beasts land seems like it only makes sense if only because you know Harry Potter. Uh, and it's just not only is it a huge franchise, but it's been fantastic for Universal, right? And so the idea of just every single one of your parks having something Harry Potter um, and to have a new Harry Potter kind of area in a new park seems like such a slam dunk. It's uh, hard to believe that that wouldn't be the case. Oh, for sure. Plus, I think, didn't they, uh, they extend, expanded how many movies they were going to actually have in the Fantastic Beasts? 
uh, franchise because wasn't that initially going to be like a trilogy, but it, I think it's now going to be like five movies or something like that. Wow. There you go, man. So last but definitely not least, the Universal Orlando Automated Permit Bot, because that's a thing, uh, shared out a recently published filing for what looks to be a Skyliner gondola system similar to what opened at Disney World in 2019. The image included various routes connecting the three different parks and all of the different hotels. Uh, and this would definitely solve one of the issues that I think everybody thought about when we saw that map of where Epic Universe is going to be in comparison to the rest of Universal Orlando result, uh, Resort because it is not connected to the other parks. So, uh, you know, previously the idea was if there isn't some kind of gondola system or ferry system that you would have to take a tram or a bus or drive all the way to uh, to the other park, which would be a real bummer. So, um, you know, it only makes sense to have a system like this and, you know, hey, you've, you've got great inspiration right up the road. Well, I've I've got had a love hate like uh, relationship with the uh, sky gondola thing. I mean, I love them for the most part, but I have been hurt by them. What? Or, well, not necessarily hurt, but uh, you know, it was something that uh, Disneyland had at yeah. one point as well. And uh, I was one of those kids while I was in line for uh, Mr. Toad, where somebody overhead spit from one of those things, and it did hit me in the head, uh, which was really gross and not, you know, especially when I was like, I was like eight or nine at the time. Uh, I think even my my wife's uh, cousin actually... uh, I don't know if they got kicked out of the park, but they definitely got in trouble because they were doing stuff like that on, uh, on the, they got caught spitting off of that. It, it, he was not the one who spit on me, but uh, of course, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I always liked writing them. So you weren't hurt. You were just traumatized. It sounds like. Yeah, I wasn't hurt. <laughs> well, uh, it seems so from the, from the drawings that were submitted with the patent, it is an enclosed system similar to what's the, the similar to the uh, what's at Disney World right now. So nobody's spitting out of uh, of the gondolas. It's it's completely completely enclosed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one way to stop people from doing something. I hate to say it, but that's probably one of the reasons why it is completely enclosed. Keep people from not only spitting, but dropping stuff from out of it. But I imagine also you can, if it's enclosed, you can also like uh, air condition it too, because it does get hot when you're up in one of those things. Yeah. While looking through all of these patents and just kind of, Putting everything together, you know, assuming, of course, you know, should be said as uh, as with all patents, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will happen. It just means that it's it's uh, an approval that has to be given and and reached before any kind of further development can happen. So, of course, it's possible that none of these uh, none of these um, patents ever come to be. But it, it's always fun to look through stuff like that and just kind of spark your your imagination. And really, in thinking about specifically, you know, the gondolas um, and some of the stuff coming to Universal, the 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 Fantastic Beasts land in Epic Universe, it, it's that resort is really going to be something when that third park opens up. It's always it really, you know, with with Harry Potter, it, it kind of uh, really established itself, of course, um, as a competitor to Disney World and not just kind of, hey, stop there if you have time. But really, man, once you've got that third park moving and grooving and the gondola system connecting everything together, uh, it's going to be so fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> I hear, I see what you did there with it being fantastic. But uh yeah, no, I mean definitely when uh like 
Harry Potter really put Universal on the map as far as like, hey, we are a competitor with, I mean, we can do, we can do lands just as good, uh, just like, you know, Disney can do. And I think in some cases they've, they've made something even more immersive in some ways to some of the older lands in, uh, in Disneyland. So, I mean, the Harry Potter has definitely been very nice and very good to uh, Universal Studios. So I'm glad that they are continuing on with them. But I really want to see what else they can do outside of Harry Potter. Um, that being said, my wife's a huge Harry Potter fan. Huge Harry Potter fan. So she's definitely excited. I mean, we definitely have always been interested in, in taking a trip to Florida to see things. But I think we keep seeing like how all the changes going on. We want to wait till everything is like in place, but it is something that, you know, makes us eager, more eager to go uh, each time we hear about these uh, changes in these new, uh, new lands and whatnot. Yeah. It's, it's uh it's exciting to kind of break out of the the kind of perpetual closure doldrums and start getting excited about future developments again, right? Oh, yeah. I'm going to be biting at the bit to get out and get to a park again. Totally, man. Can't wait for it. Well, that just about does it for today. Remember, you can catch The Great Park Hop each and every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast service just so happens to be. As always, if you like what you hear and want us to keep making content just like this, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or hit that like button. This has been episode 13 of The Great Park Hop, and we'll catch you next week. Henry, stay healthy, big guy. You too. Bye.